Welcome to the Red Roof Recovery Show. This is a program to soften the path of recovery from either substance or behavioral addictions. I'm your host, Tanya McIntyre. And this beautiful theme song that we're listening to is called Greatest Bravery. It's from the CD titled The Master Key. And it's from my friend, my mentor, a very talented musician, songwriter, and his name is Russell Allen Scott. Thank you, Russell, for this beautiful piece of music. I'm here with you on this episode of The Red Roof Recovery Show to share my experience, strength, and hope around my own recovery from drugs, drugs and alcohol. And my epiphany happened to me when I was in, of all places, on the Mediterranean, Majorca, Spain. And people say, ooh, Spain, that must have been nice. But, um, you know, the old saying, wherever you go, there you are. Well, uh, my addictions caught up with me big time when my husband and I relocated to Majorca, Spain. And that was February of 2009. And the only model of recovery that was available to me at that time was a 12-step program of Alcoholics Anonymous. So I went into this 30-day rehab program on mainland Spain, just outside of Seville. And I, in, in that 30 days, I mean, that was a foundation for my recovery. And you'll often hear me say that AA saved my life, but SMART recovery gave me my life back. And SMART, as you will hear me talk about a lot, is an acronym for self-management and recovery training. And I've been a facilitator with Smart Recovery since 2018. I hold regular weekly meetings, which of course have migrated now to the Zoom world. And you can access those meetings at smartrecoverytoronto.com. Smart is a nonprofit organization and it's located in Mentor, Ohio. And that was um, pretty relevant to me at the time because mentorship has been quite relevant to me in my recovery journey. So Mentor, Ohio is uh, where Smart Recovery was founded 25 years ago. And you can access an abundance of resources and meetings all over the world on their website at smartrecovery.org. And this program, people say, well, why Red Roof Recovery? If you're talking about smart recovery and 12-step programs, where does the Red Roof Recovery come in? And Red Roof Recovery is something that's a, a big dream of mine that I hope to eventually do a residential recovery program uh, in-house in my own house, which has a red metal roof. And I chose red because it's a grounding, very healing color for me. It has deep spiritual uh, meanings in a variety of spiritual practices. So the Red Roof Recovery kind of came by chance when we settled to this beautiful small town of Godrich, Ontario on Lake Huron. And my husband, we had just put the red metal roof on our house and my husband was upstairs painting uh, the upstairs, what was going to be my office and it was going to be red to match the red roof. And he was looking out the window at the red metal roof and painting the red room. And he said, you know, Tanya, this could be the start of your dream, red roof recovery. And I thought, oh my gosh, that, that is so perfect. So I do believe that everything does happen for a reason. But uh, then, of course, the pandemic swept the globe. And uh, here we are now doing everything remotely. 
So that is a dream. Red Roof Recovery is founded on the principles of SMART. And it's also founded on the principles of Team CBT, which you will hear me talk about a lot. I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a minute. And both of these are innovative, evidence-based programs that I've been using myself to abstain from my addictions for several years now. SMART is an evidence-based recovery program, and it's based on the techniques of CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. And Team CBT, that's a clinically proven and evidence-based program, and it was recreated by one of my favorite mentors, Dr. David Burns in California. And Dr. Burns is a pioneer in cognitive behavioral therapy. And he created something called Team CBT, and Team is another acronym, and it stands for Testing, Agenda Setting, um, Empathy, or Testing, Empathy, Agenda Setting, and Methods. So that's all a detailed format of techniques and tools to reprogram our core beliefs that technically contribute to our habits, our addictions, our illnesses, and various brain disorders. And I'm a big fan of Dr. David Burns because he is just so intelligent in his approach to recovery. He often says, I'm all about tools, not schools of therapy, because we're all different, right? What's gonna work for me may not work for you. So I always encourage people to explore different things and keep looking. You know, it's like gardening, right? You just keep digging and you find that rich soil that's uh, going to be work for you to plant your seeds to get an abundance of um, whatever it is that you're wanting to grow in your life. So one of the core principles of smart recovery is the whole idea of acceptance. <clears throat> We're going to talk a little bit about anxiety and I'm full of it right now, so I need to stop. Acceptance, um, acceptance of not only myself, but also our life and the others in our life, right? Uh, so three excellent tools of recovery from SMART are more acronyms. SMART Recovery loves to use acronyms. And these are the USA, the ULA, and the UOA. The USA is unconditional self-acceptance, something that took me a long time to get. And it started for me when I was actually in the 30-day rehab in, in Spain, in Seville, Spain. Part of my homework was to read a book by another one of my virtual mentors, uh, the late, great Louise Hay. Louise Hay founded Hay House Radio. And it resonated with me when I was given her book. I think it was called Heal. You Can Heal Your Life. And that was part of my nightly homework after I spent all day in class learning the 12-step uh, program. Then I was assigned homework, which I, I thought was great. It's, it's a very good form of psychotherapy, that uh, directing rational analysis inward, which is where I never wanted to go, which is why I anesthetized myself with drugs and alcohol. So it was really good therapy to force myself to read. Uh, she was kind of the, uh, the grandmother of self-help in her day. And I think she resonated with me because I was abandoned by my own mother as a child. So she, it resonated with me that she was kind of a motherly figure. And I kind of felt like I was getting a nice, soft, warm hug from her when I was reading through her book. And she said something that resonated with me, that one of the most difficult things that we do in our lifetime is learning to love ourselves. 
because we're told from the time we're born that we're never enough, we're never good enough. And then, you know, as we go through our life, then we're, we've got peer pressure and messages from teachers and culture, and we have to fit into all these social constructs. One of my favorite Shakespeare quotes is that all the world is a stage and men and women merely players, right? So we're expected to play this role in life. And sometimes that can be stifling. So Louise Hay really resonated with me with that. Uh, this self-love journey is one that's worth taking. And of course, it's what I avoided doing, which is why I was addicted to drugs and alcohol, because I, I was slowly killing myself. I loathed myself. And this exercise that Louise Hay suggested was called the mirror exercise. And I recommend that you go to YouTube and uh, do a search for Louise Hay, the mirror exercise, and you can learn more about that. And it basically uh, comprised of when you start your day in the morning, you look yourself in the mirror, look deeply into your eyes, put your hand on your heart and say, I love you and you're worth it. Oh, well, I remember when I was doing that back in 2009, I couldn't do it. I couldn't even get the words out of my mouth. I was just sobbing and crying because I didn't love myself. I loathed myself. But I persevered because I resonated with Louise Hay. Now, some people, they can't stand it. I'll go away. I don't want to hear any more about that mirror exercise. Doesn't work for a lot of people. Some people, when they persevere with it, they say, well, I couldn't really look at myself in the mirror, looking into my eyes. But I found if I put a picture of myself as a child and I said that to the child, then that worked for me. So it's all about finding what works for you. I persevered with looking in the mirror and sobbing and crying and processing those emotions. I'm still getting emotional. <laughs> it's like, wow, it's a powerful exercise. And you know, another mentor said, what we practice grows stronger. So I stuck with it because I really, really wanted to love myself. And I knew that that self-acceptance and that self-love was gonna be key to recovery. I wanted to stop killing myself, so I persevered. So it's about finding something that resonates with you. The other one that I want to talk to you about from Smart Recovery is ULA. That's Unconditional Life Acceptance. And this is another tough one because, uh, you know, depending on what we're born into, our life can be a myriad of things. And, you know, the saying goes, it's not what happens to you, it's how we react to what happens to us. So these videos from Smart Recovery on YouTube, really helpful. I encourage you to uh, look that up on YouTube, Smart Recovery, and then go to the playlist and find tips and tools for recovery that works. And you can learn all about these. And what I love about them is that you will learn more about cognitive behavioral therapy. And it's done in short snippets. That's that's what I like to hear. I want short, immediate, lots of information in a short amount of time. And every time I watch one, I get something new from it. So they're only about four or five minutes long, which is perfect, containing a lot of information and very helpful. So the ULA, Unconditional Life Acceptance, is a great one. So we've got Unconditional Self-Acceptance, the USA, the Unconditional Life Acceptance, the ULA, and then the one I watch at least once a week, it's U-O-A, and that's unconditional other acceptance. And when you watch that video on SMART, uh, you'll learn about the one of my, my favorite French philosophers, Sartre, who said, 
hell is other people. And mm, yeah, it certainly can be. So I, I watched that. It's only like four or five minutes long. I watch it at least once a week because that can be a challenge dealing with other people. So they've all had a very powerful impact on my recovery. So I encourage you to look for those tips and tools for recovery that works on YouTube, Smart Recovery. So on this episode of the Red Roof Recovery Show, I'm going to try to stay on topic. And I wanna to talk to you about anxiety because it's something that I've been feeling a lot of and something that I, I anesthetized for a long time. I can't even say the word, anesthetized. Um, I jokingly say that um, I used drugs and alcohol as my anesthetic through which I endured the operation of life for so long. Now I'm learning how to endure the operation of life without drugs and alcohol. So I'm honored that you've chosen to spend 30 minutes with me to listen to me talk about my anxiety and how I've learned how to uh, live and endure the operation of life without drugs and alcohol. So anxiety and depression is something that is often equated to addictions. And for me, I was trying to self-medicate my anxiety and depression for most of my adult life. So let's take a look at, at some synonyms of anxiety while I take a little sip of water. <laughs> so since some synonyms of anxiety would be fear, worry, nervousness, panicked, frightened. When I talk about fear, I often use the FUD factor, fear, uncertainty, and doubt, because I spent a long time in mainstream media circles. You know, I was a journalist, a reporter, a news reader. It really is all you become when you're in, on mainstream media. You're just fulfilling an agenda. So I talk about the FUD factor and how mainstream media perpetuates the FUD factor, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And that um, is something that I'm challenged with every day is how, to, how do I face my fear, uncertainty, and doubt? And I'm facing it right now because, you know, I jokingly say that I have a great face for radio. I spent most of my life in radio because I feared uh, the judgment that came with being in front of a camera. And anytime I did get in front of a camera, um, a lot of the feedback and the comments I would get were very negative. And I, I watch celebrities talk about, um, jokingly, they get in front of a camera and they read their, their Twitter feed. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, you know, that, that, is, that would just be so devastating. And I most recently experienced something similar to that when I started a new YouTube channel with Red Roof Recovery to upload these videos. Because everybody says, you know, you need an audio and a video to promote yourself. So I thought, okay, I gotta do a video now. So here I am uh, going through my, the exposure model of overcoming my anxiety. I'm, I'm exposing myself to the fear, uncertainty, and doubt and anxiety to, do, to get this done. But I, I had comments uh, open on the YouTube channel and they were fast and furious and negative and made me feel like crap. So I figured out how to go on to the YouTube account and disable comments because I'm thinking, I don't want to expose myself to all that negativity and feedback from, from, from what? From people who have no relevance to my life. So 
I'm grateful that we have technology that will allow me to do this so that you can see what anxiety looks like and see the example of uh, what the exposure model looks like, that I'm full of anxiety doing this, um, and what I can do, what's within my control to uh, manage that anxiety. Disabling comments from the YouTube channel. <laughs> so I've done that. So if you do um, need to leave me a comment, hey, you can uh, send me a message by email and ask for my phone number and we can have a conversation. And then I'm willing to have a conversation where you can deliver your feedback in person to me. So that's, that's the way you can get feedback to me. So my mentor, uh, Dr. David Burns, his website, I encourage you to check him out as well, feelinggood.com. He describes anxiety and depression as two contrasting conditions, which I find quite fascinating. Because when we're anxious, it's almost like we're hanging on a cliff by our fingertips, and we're fearful of what's going to happen, right? Of, of just afraid of that fall at any moment. Something terrible is about to happen. While depression, by contrast, is that we've already fallen off the cliff, and now we're at the bottom of the cliff, and our arms and legs are broken beyond repair, and we're totally helpless and hopeless because the tragedy has already happened. A common saying is that if you want to be anxious, get yourself a future. And if you want to be depressed, get yourself a past. <laughs> so anxiety usually always accompanies depression, but if you, have, you can have anxiety without depression. And then, of course, we have the healthy fears, that's anxiety, the healthy, there is healthy anxiety. I guess this could be kind of a, a form of healthy anxiety that I'm confronting the fear. And then we've got neurotic anxiety. And they both result from negative thoughts, which is why I love the cognitive model of recovery because it helps me define and dissect all of that negative thought pattern. You know, I call it the committee in my head that just keeps running around in this loop, unending loop, and it just never shuts up. So some of the negative thoughts that contribute to my depression, things like I'm worthless, I'm not valuable, I'm not good enough, my problems will never be solved, I'll never fit in, I'm hopeless. And then negative thoughts that can feed my anxiety, things like I'm going to fail at hosting this show, <laughs> I'm going to draw a blank and won't know what to say, I'm going to um, make a fool of myself. People are going to judge me. Thoughts that create anxiety are wrong thoughts generally. They're false, distorted thoughts. And then when we're fearful, oftentimes the negative thoughts that we're having can be valid thoughts. So for example, if we're frightened by the thought of walking at night, if we're living in an area of high crime, that kind of fear can keep us safe. So kind of summarizing it, when we're afraid of something that's true, that's fear. When we're afraid of something that's false, that's anxiety. So four powerful treatment models for anxiety. And this is where we get into the, the tools, not schools, of therapy. So we've got the cognitive model, which Smart Recovery is founded on. We've got the exposure model, which I'm doing right now to overcome my anxiety, the motivational model, and the hidden emotion model. And every approach has completely different theories around it about what causes the anxiety. And they all use distinct treatment techniques. 
which is why I always encourage people to just keep looking. If you've tried something that doesn't work, instead of just throwing up your arms and saying, no, 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 I did that, done, been there, done that, doesn't work. Keep trying, keep looking, because something you will uncover something that resonates with you. For example, cognitive therapists, they think that distorted thoughts, the untrue thoughts that trigger, or they, they trigger rather, all feelings of anxiety, and that the most effective treatment involves just challenging those distortions. So you'll learn more about that on the Smart Recovery YouTube channel. When you look up the tips and tools for recovery that works, you'll learn all the different tools that are utilized in Smart Recovery. And then in contrast, we have exposure therapists talking about the exposure model of therapy. And they argue that avoidance is the cause of all anxiety and that exposure is the only effective treatment. Those who adhere to the motivational model, they emphasize the role of resistance. In other words, anxious individuals are reluctant to let go of anxiety because they secretly believe that their anxiety will protect them from danger. And I, I talk to a lot of people where there's kind of a, a recovery resistance because they really do believe that uh, the thoughts that they have, the anxiety, the fears actually are protecting them or their loved ones from some imagined disaster. And then finally, those who adhere to the hidden emotion model, that's always a fun one, those hidden emotions. They claim that niceness is the true cause of all anxiety in the world at this time, and that hidden problems and feelings may need to be brought to conscious awareness before the patient can recover. And I don't think there's anyone I've ever talked to who doesn't uh, suffer from some level of anxiety. And a lot of times, if you explore further, they're just really, really nice people. And they're, they're holding all of this stuff inside. It's just kind of brewing there and they don't want to bring it to conscious awareness for fear that, you know, maybe they'll go crazy or kill somebody. <laughs> So that's it in a nutshell, talking about uh, the, the four basic um, recovery models of treating anxiety. And I want to talk to you a little bit about how uh, our words, it all starts with our words, right? So when we are talking to ourselves, when we're feeding that committee in our head, that inner dialogue, that inner critic, what are the words that we're using to talk to ourselves? I often say it's great to remember to talk to ourselves like we talk to our best friends, but we're reluctant to do that for whatever reason. And when we think about using positive words to talk to ourselves, we're challenged because I was surprised to learn that in our English language dictionary, there are three times as, neg as many negative words as positive words. I know, right? It's like... Seriously. So we have to work three times as hard to even formulate a positive thought. So it all begins with the words that we are talking to ourselves. So for me, when I'm talking about this, this inner dialogue, this committee in my head that never shuts up, it just keeps running in a loop in our head, I have to interrupt it to say, okay, how am I going to stop the negative thought patterns once I recognize them. So being aware that it's a negative thought pattern that's not serving my health and well-being, 
And it starts with how I'm talking to myself, the language I'm using. So for instance, if I came here today thinking, I'm going to fail at this, I'm going to be awful, people are gonna judge me, then the anxiety just grows and it just feeds anxiety and depression and I could just maybe go, go under the covers in my bed and never wanna come out. But I think with cognitive behavioral therapy through smart recovery, it's taught me to really dissect the feelings, look at the negative thought patterns and, and ask myself, is it true? Well, I've succeeded in other things on camera before, so I can get through this, I can do this. So the words that I'm using is that I told myself today, I'm, I'm going to go in and I'm going to do my best. I've done it before and I'm confident that I'll, I'll do this and I'll do a good job. And even if I can connect with one person and encourage you to look for a solution that's going to better serve your health and well-being, then it's all been worth it. It's been worth conquering my anxiety and my fear and uncertainty and doubt to do just that. So think about the words that we're using because the words are formulating our thoughts. And those thoughts then, if they're positive, then we're gonna have more positive moods, feelings, and emotions. So think of positive words equaling positive thoughts, positive moods, positive emotions, and then that translates into the behaviors. So when we start with good positive words, we're gonna have good positive thoughts, good positive emotions, good positive behaviors. It all comes, it's a direct correlation. So I want you to think about how you're talking to yourself. Interrupt those negative thought patterns. And as we explore anxiety and depression further and how there's normally a direct correlation to how addictions develop, then we can figure out how we can uh, live the four pillars of smart recovery. We first have to develop and maintain our motivation to abstain. Then we learn how to handle the urges that come with abstinence. Then we learn how to manage our thoughts, feelings, and behaviors and pillar number four of smart recovery is where we all want to get to. We learn how to live a healthy and balanced life. Thank you so much for being here with me. This is the Red Roof Recovery Show. It's a program to help soften the path of recovery from substance and behavioral addictions. I'm your host, Tanya McIntyre. Remember to talk to yourself like you talk to your best friend. And may the force be with you. And remember, you are the force. Thanks, everybody.